This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put oh, he's the one. Pussy up the right sideline. He's got to go. He's tackled. Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their first FCS championship. Hello. Welcome to the Republic of Football Sunday recap edition. First one of the year. Joined by Mike Craven back in Austin after an eventful we uh weekend in Fort Worth. How you doing, buddy? Doing pretty good. How's everybody doing after week one? Pretty good. I'm 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 hyped. I mean, we'll talk about why I'm hyped in a mm, bit. I wonder why. <laughs> Everyone, everyone's favorite Mal Pal, of course. Hi, Mallory. Hi, hi. I got so I got YouTube TV uh yeah. last Friday, and the fact that you can pull up four college games at once is that's probably the best invention ever that was so cool sick. yesterday i had four games pulled up until i went i had i pulled it up four games like right when they all started it at like 11 went to the unt yeah. game came back pulled up four more games it was just fabulous <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty sick yeah i'm, I'm gonna have to look into that because uh, spectrum <laughs> decided to to fight with disney right when the college football season started so i didn't get any of the espn games on my tv oh. um so for those of you that don't know, we got some new listeners now with the net podcast network going on. These recap editions, this is a quick scan of the entire state, right? So what we're going to do, we're going to go through, if you heard our midweek episode, we had our three main, uh, three games of the week. We're going to go through Colorado TCU, Texas State Baylor, and UTSA Houston in depth pretty well on both sides uh, if they play, if they're interstate matchups. And then we're going to go, we're going to go lightning round, quick thoughts on a lot of the others. Um, uh, we'll talk about them as much as we need to, but these are the three games that we're going to go in depth on. Um, I do want to give quick plugs for some pieces we have up right now. Mike Craven, of course, was at TCU Colorado. He put up three thoughts about that one. Uh, Jacob Rodriguez of Square and Around was at uh, Texas State at Baylor. Of course, it turned out to be a pretty damn important game. He has a piece on uh, G.J. Kenny's start. And then we have an intern, Naomi Brown at Texas A&M, was at uh, Texas A&M in uh, New Mexico. And she has some thoughts about the first signs of um, of Jimbo Fisher's uh, and, and Bobby Petrino's new offense. So go check out those right now. Those are up on TexasFootball.com. We'll have more on uh, – we'll just say we'll have more on SMU, and then we'll have more on UTSA in Houston. Uh, Carter Yates was at that game coming this – week, uh, probably today or Monday, you know, whenever we – uh, whenever you're listening to this, depending. So let's get into it right now. Let's start off with the one you were at, Craven. Probably the most intriguing game of the weekend, which is why you were there. Colorado 45, TCU 42. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of places you want to start here. Um, Craven, where, where do you want to start with this one? It's one of the more shocking results that I've ever seen. Um. Yeah. I, I'm a big believer that we don't know as much as we say that we do, right? Like I, mm -hmm. I, I fully admit how little I know about college football. Like it's random. We think we know a lot of stuff. You get to week one and you realize you don't know anything at all. But I thought I knew this. I thought sure. that you couldn't add 70 plus new players to a roster and look like a cohesive team. I thought that you needed an offensive line and a defensive line up to par. 
Uh, I thought you couldn't go on the road and play against a team that just played for a national title and just figure it out like that and just look like the team that's been around for they look like TCU was the team with 70 plus new players and a new coaching staff, yeah. not Colorado. TCU had more uh, penalties. They had more turnovers. They looked sloppier. They looked flat. Uh, Deion Sanders came out an hour and a half before the game and walked a circle around that field with, with like Texas Rangers flanked all around him and stuff like a booze everywhere, booze everywhere. And he was soaking it up and you could like (laughs) that, that confidence is contagious. Yeah. And a big part of athletics, especially young people is just instilling a belief in them that you're better than these guys. And that Colorado team did not feel like 20 point underdogs. They thought they thought they were favorites and they came out and played incredibly well. Uh, Travis Hunter. Uh, my, I thought I so, mean, that might be the best. That, honestly, I, this is this is hyperbole. I, I, that might be the best performance I've ever seen in my life. He took 110 yeah, like, snaps he, in total. That's just Jackson State and he, he when he was playing both ways at Jackson State, I was like, OK, he's he's a five star player playing FCS ball. Right. He can probably get away with that because he's a better athlete. I thought that was done when he went to Colorado. I thought he was just going to play corner or play wide receiver, maybe one or two snaps, right? He played 110 <laughs> snaps. What was that? Not only, not only was he playing 110 snaps, he was taking on Josh Newton as a wide receiver going against the best corner in the Big 12 and then shutting down Savion Williams and Dalen Wright and like a bunch of like really good wide receivers. Like he, I mean, he's an NFL player on both sides of the football and I, I mean, I listened to Urban Meyer kind of talk afterwards and we can say whatever we want about Urban Meyer, but the dude knows football. Sure. Um, yeah. He said that was the best performance he'd ever seen in his life because he didn't think it was possible. You did Like the guy is a first round top 10 NFL draft pick at corner and he just decided, well, what if I'm also like the best wide receiver in the football game? You know, and <laughs> uh, it was incredible. And then beyond that, Shadur Sanders, like I was on the recruiting beat back when he was at Trinity Christian, like he was a fine player. Uh, right. But he wasn't right. like 510 yards, set a school record in his first ever FBS start. And that's a pretty decent TCU secondary, at least on paper. They returned sure. you know, four out of five starters. They played for a national championship game last year in the national championship game last year. Um, so, you know, for me, this was a bigger story about Colorado, not TCU. It just felt like TCU sure. ran into kind of a buzzsaw that was playing out of their mind. And, and it'll be interesting to see if Colorado uh, can keep that forward. We're a Texas centric podcast. So on the TCU yeah. side, I'll just say this. Uh, I'd be disappointed if I was the coordinators at, at on either side of the ball. Uh, yeah. Kendall Bryles didn't didn't play or didn't have a great game plan, especially early on. I mean, they ended up scoring 42 points. So, like, sure. you can't bury them too much. Uh, but they were, they threw the ball more than they ran the ball, and they averaged seven-point yards a rush. Just run the freaking football, right? Yeah. Um, and then defensively, Joe Gillespie, I mean, that – that was uh that was not good, right? I mean that w- that was not a good defensive performance. Colorado could not run the ball at all and still torch mm-hmm. that defense. And so uh, back to the drawing board for TCU, they've now lost three out of their last four after winning their first. <sighs> That's a good point. Yeah. So I would say it's, it's lastly from or for me on Colorado at least. Yeah, Shadur Sanders. I think everybody that saw him at Trinity Christian was like, eh, you know, he's a decent player, right? About Jackson State, he's probably a little bit better than Jackson State, but that was around the level you probably saw him at. Absolutely surgical. I want to give credit to Sean Lewis. I think Sean Lewis yes. was the best hire that Deion Sanders made, getting him to go from Kent State's head coach. to You don't see that, right? You don't see group mm-hmm. of five head coaches going to be power five coordinators just because. And now he's going to parlay that into probably a power five head coaching job next year because, like you mentioned, 
they did not have an offensive line, right? That was not an offensive line that got a push. And yet he was able to generate so much space. And we'll get to maybe why that's the case in a bit when, when you talk about the way Joe Gillespie kind of handled that. Um, but he was able to put his playmakers in the Dylan Edwards. Like, again, that's a, just a, is an insane, insane athlete. Three catches, five catches, 135. Travis Hunter won uh, 11 catches on 14 targets for 119. And then uh, also had a pick. Three, three tackles like that pick was absolutely insane mm-hmm. completely baited Chandler Morris into that in the red zone every that was time a, TCU, that was a stupid ass play call too though that was a that was a pretty bad play no like every time it looked like TCU was about to like put the foot down or like had a chance to maybe put the Colorado's like nope right back in it like every time the conventional wisdom said here's where here's where TCU kind of leans on them right the running you mentioned the running game particularly in the second half it looked like Colorado was getting tired up front because they could not stop Amani Bailey, they were able, they were able to later when they just threw everybody in the box because they weren't worried about Chandler Morris really, um, and so Amani Bailey fin- finished with a great game, right? Uh, because and then Trey Sanders as well. I feel incredible for Trey Sanders after what he's been through, you know, his injuries and all that stuff. So he played great. That's unfortunately going to get lost in this because yeah, like you said, <laughs> the, the story is Colorado. Go to TCU. Yeah, the everybody knew that the Kendall Bryles hire was controversial, let's just say. But the idea was you eat that bad PR because of what he can produce at quarterbacks and what you, what he can produce on offense. Like you mentioned, 40, you know, 42 points is 42 points. It took a while to kind of really get, and like you mentioned, the run game is what kind of did it. And they were throwing the ball a lot. Um, Chandler Morris, I think a lot of people were asking, well, what, what's TCU like if Chandler Morris doesn't get hurt last year? I think we know. Mm-hmm. They, I, they probably don't make that national title. Like, that, that's just like the way they, the way he played, he didn't look like a quarterback who felt really comfortable in live fire, which is crazy because our, the first time you saw him for TCU, he replaced Max Duggan and he was lighting it up, right? And you're like, oh man, who's this guy? The ceiling must be insane. And I don't, I think, I think uh, I was sitting with a couple writers. I was at the SMU game and we'll talk about them later, but uh, there was, I was sitting with a couple guys and they were saying, you know, when you get to these coaches, kids, right. They probably look insane in practice because they know exactly what coaches need to see and how to handle practice. And I'm not saying Chandler Morris can't play. He won a state title with Highland Park. He can play, but there is, I think when you watch a game and you watch a Max Duggan versus a him versus a Chandler Morris, you see something different in live fire from both of them. Max Duggan is somebody who knew how to handle when they put the right personnel around him and the right system around him. He was somebody who can handle live fire. He was somebody who can maybe take a risk here and there where Chandler Morris just didn't feel that way yesterday. Um, we can talk about Joe Gillespie as well. Cause I mean, my, what was that? They were playing soft coverage on a team that you, I mentioned Sean Lewis generating a lot of space. That's because there was a lot of space to generate because there was like eight yards off each receiver from, from TCU. I don't know if he just didn't feel confident in the depth behind Josh Newton or whatever to play a lot of these guys pretty close, but he was almost saying, yeah, Colorado have the space and their athletes. If there, if there was one thing heading into this game, we knew that they had was skill position, right? They went and got those guys. So it was a bad, it was a worse night for Joe Gillespie, but if I'm TCU, I'm also not too confident right now in the Kendall Bryles hire, especially coming off of what Garrett Riley was able to do last year. It's just amazing in college football, how quickly 
opinions can change on stuff or how, how perceptions right. can change and momentum can change. Right. Yeah. This team goes 12 and 0 in the regular season last year. They beat Michigan in the Fiesta Bowl. Like, sure, they get blown out in the national championship game, but it's Georgia and they made an incredible sure. run. And that was an awesome season. And then this offseason's just kind of been question after question. I mean, from the Kendall Bryles hire um, to the quarterback position, kind of standing pat and just what is that going to look like? And, you know, I, I was sitting there uh, with a couple of people yesterday as well at the, at the TCU game. And, you know, Sam Acho was there. Right. Mm -hmm. And we were talking after the game. And he was like, if we did a draft, at what point do you draft a TCU player? And he's not wrong. You know, like Colorado yeah. had the best five, six, seven, especially at the skill position players. And mm -hmm. TCU sure. did not dominate on the offensive line and the defensive line as much as they should have. I think Joe Gillespie thought their defensive line was going to handle Colorado to a point where they could play off, uh, just not let the star players make any big plays, go rally to the football, and they were going to win this game by 30 points. Um, that TCU defense, they don't have Dylan Horton anymore, and they have not replaced him with a pass rusher. You know, for that first half especially, Shadar Sanders could do whatever he wanted. He could, like, take a nap back there and then go throw the football. And so, yeah, I mean, TCU got pantsed. You know, they just did. Yeah. Uh, they look like a team that's still kind of hung over from getting beat 65-7 to or whatever it was in the national championship game, and, and a team that kind of lost not only their best players at pretty much every position, but their leaders at a lot of those. Yeah. Like, Max Duggan's a leader. Steve Avila's a leader. Uh, mm -hmm. Travis Hodges Tomlinson is a leader. D Winters leader. Like those guys. Quentin Johnson's a small, he's a quiet guy, but he's somebody who's like able to like, all right, put the team on my back. Let's go. Right. Right. You could, yeah, you could put a bat now. Quentin Johnson versus Travis Hunter. Now that's, that's a matchup <sighs> that, that, that I would have loved, loved to see. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this TCU team was always going to take a step back. And I think we left yesterday going, it's going to take a further step back than maybe we thought, but also, maybe Dion's just really effing good at this uh -huh. right and like we may look back and just go like that was more about Colorado than it was more about TCU and then the other the last thing here I think we spoke and I I did this as well I thought getting Colorado in week one was the, was an advantage you wouldn't mm -hmm. want to play him in week eight but you'd want to play him in week one I think I was wrong I think it's the opposite I think TCU's disadvantage was they had no no Clue. idea what was going on. What was going <laughs> to happen? They didn't know what to <laughs> scout. They didn't know who to scout. They didn't know what to think. They just went in with a base vanilla defense because they. What are you going to game plan for? Uh, right. It'll be interesting to see how Colorado is able to keep this up as teams get more and more tape. Yep, no, I, I like your picture. I liked your picture on Twitter with the the no depth chart available or Colorado yeah. did not provide a depth yeah. chart. They were just chart. like no one knows anything about us, <laughs> dude. Yeah. Dion. Dion's he's a wizard. Worth, he's he's worth the price of admission, man. It was it was entertaining before the game even started. Like when he got out of so like you know usually everybody comes in on, on the team bus or whatever. Dion had his yeah. own like Mercedes Benz like RV looking type thing. Amazing. He gets out with security. He's got cops moving AP photographers out of the way, right? You know, like he's walking around in the circle on the field. There's like children running around, but he still has like Texas Rangers flanked on him. Like people are going to run up on Deion Sanders. Like it's just like he just controls it, you know, like, sure, sure. you know, he goes into the halftime and we're all in the press box, like with our phones up on our ears, trying to listen to his halftime interview. Nobody yeah. cares about halftime interviews, but we do because Deion Sanders is about to say something crazy. And then he's like, he's him. You know, like, yeah, like, this, he is guy, him. Like, this guy is just incredible. Uh, and so see, like, he's yeah. good for college football. He's good yeah. for college football and he's good for the big 12. Like big 12 football is going to be appointment viewing because you got to see what this guy is going to do. That's going to be huge for the conference, you know, as Texas and Oklahoma move out. 
Oh yeah, I did see someone say that he thinks I think he thinks Travis Hunter, he sees him in Travis Hunter. Yeah. Right. Like playing both sides, being yeah. able to do anything and that confidence. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. All right. Let's go to go to McLean Stadium, baby. Listen, Texas State 42, Probably. Baylor 31. Uh, trust we'll 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 obviously get to Baylor because I do have thoughts on Baylor as a as uh, where my neutral observer hat is on. <laughs> I do but have thoughts. I, I also have thoughts. thoughts. <laughs> but I'm going to put on my Homer hat real quick and say, what the hell was that? That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. So I've been here and then go. I love the way Jacob started his piece uh, from, from the game because I was there for every press conference since this team moved up to FBS. Every coach says you're going to win a championship. Every coach said you're going to play explosive offense. Every coach said you're going to have an aggressive defense, right? We've seen it before. Nobody has shown it from day one like these guys showed it yesterday. Um, TJ Finley got the start at quarterback, which was, according to Kenny, was a, like, he was still after the game, was like, yeah, no, it was still either him or Malik Hornsby. Like, I think if yeah. Finley didn't start red hot, it was going to be probably a juggled, Dude, yes. I was I was I was there talking to Kenny like last week for a story coming out this week, and I was yeah. like, "Hey, just between you and I, who's the quarterback?" And he was like, "Ah, right, we'll find out." I'm saying, "I'm gonna let Baylor decide that." You know, <laughs> <laughs> like like he apparently Don Coriel, the athletic director, was asking him. He's like, "I don't know." Like, I'm yeah, we'll see. he was like, "We'll like, see who plays best on Saturday, and that'll be our quarterback." And then like yeah. Finley never got off the field because he's awesome. Apparently, twenty-two yeah. of thirty, two ninety-eight, three touchdowns, no picks. Uh, he had a couple. He had a fumble, which was pretty shaky but that was kind of that's kind of always been his thing with ball security um but regardless they came out and they punched baylor in the mouth right ishmael mahdi from uh, i think it was houston christian transfer four four speed flat out hit him right up right up the middle in like the first quarter like a 70 60 or 70 yard touchdown finished with 83 yards on the ground breakout party for joey hobert from utah tech 106 yards six catches one-handed snag no gloves he he just he's an insane he was a 1500 yard receiver in fcs so he can play but for him to do that against a baylor team that's pretty known for having a pretty okay defense in his debut was awesome um so yeah the offense was what it was and i was really really pleased with that but in my opinion the defense the aggressiveness of the defense was what really surprised me because they never let Blake Shapen get comfortable. Um, the running game for Baylor just was not really there. They Dominic Richardson had a good game, but he was the only one that had like any type of uh, uh, a good game. And I want I would love to see the numbers because I felt like jo- Jonathan Packey blitzed every single play that they had, um, and it shows because it, it makes sense that he came from the Manny Diaz tree because <laughs> uh, it just he just blitzed every single time and it looked like there was some type of stunt coming. Um, Texas fans may roll their eyes at that, but there's one thing that Manny, Manny Diaz knew how to do was blitz sometimes incorrectly, but still he blitzed. Um, so, yeah, for me, massive debut. It it lived up to the hype because we talked we we kind of ha- at least for me I had a feeling I was like man this team feels different this coaching staff feels different. But I had seen it before, and I kind of had weighted expectations. Anybody who's listened to this podcast for an extended period of time knows how I feel about Mac Leftwich and GJ Kinney. Like, oh, yeah. they're geniuses. Man. Like, they're they're superstars that are going to be coaching football at the highest level of college football in not very long of a time, right? Like, right. 
if GJ Kinney's an NFL offensive coordinator in five years, I'm not shocked, right? Like, I mean, the dude is, I mean, they're just really smart, really energetic. They know how to run a program. They've done it at every single level. GJ Kinney's been training for this since he was like three years old. You know, like this is, yeah. this is what he's always known uh, he was going to do. Um, and, you know, we talked about Colorado and now we're talking about Texas State. And I think there's two points transfers. that we need to make here. I was going to say, yeah, the transfers. <laughs> the, the transfer portal is not this boogeyman that we should all be scared of. And also, there's some football players at the FCS level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Texas State's offensive line is bas- basically an FCS offensive line. So they're wide- UIW's offensive line. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. The the wide receiver we we're just talking about from the FCS level. The running back we we're just yeah. talking about from the FCS level. A lot of those defensive guys that we we're talking from the FCS level. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's not as big of a gap as I think we think there is. And some of that's 2020 and just how the pandemic yeah. happened. And a lot of guys fell right. under the radar and right. that recruiting cycle got weird. And a lot of these guys that that Texas State uh, is winning with are guys that kind of fell through those cracks and got to UIW and are, are really good football players. But still, uh, I think it's just a, another example of the the layers not being as deep as sometimes we give them out to be. I mean, obviously, there's a big gap between Alabama and Incarnate Word, uh, but sure. there's not as big of a gap between Incarnate Word as UTEP as we'd like to imagine. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, yep. But I just overly impressed with Texas State. I mean, you can't. There's nothing else to say. I mean, you, you know, I kind of watched that game. So I was driving back from Fort Worth and I got gas mm-hmm. in Hillsboro at around four thirty five o'clock. And I, in my head, I was like, well, shoot, I could have just gone to tech. Yeah, actually, <laughs> I could have just like on the way back, stopped by Waco, gone to the Texas state Baylor game. I was like, right. I'll get back and I'll watch the other games. Jacob's going to be at the game. But like now I'm really mad that I didn't go because that was like yeah, that was yeah. an incredible game. Uh, one of the biggest upsets ever. I wanted to ask you, I yeah. know, and I know the 2012 win over Houston uh, mm-hmm. was a, was a big one. Was sure. that the most enjoyable fan experience as a Texas State fan, and like in your lifetime? Because like I can't yeah. think of another one that would have been more fun. Yeah, no, I think it is because the only the only other one that I can remember was Withers' debut at Ohio, but because I think they were they weren't they weren't thirty point underdogs, but they were like they were still double digit underdogs. Um, but that one, the reason why this one felt better is because this one wasn't Ohio was a lot of gadget plays and like they ran like wide receivers. So it was a lot of like pulling everything out to pull up a huge double overtime win on the road. This one was just lining up and scheming and just beating a team. Yeah, and that was they something they that, didn't fluke their way to this win. They just no. lined up and beat Baylor. Like they just beat and them. that's that's what's different is because I can't remember the last time Texas State did that or I can probably count on maybe one hand as many times as they've done that to other group of five teams, right? Like, that's the thing. Is like, I've seen so many times where, like, the Appalachian State game last year probably was the was, was one of very few times where it was like they matched up against a group of five team and they just beat them, right? It's usually some type of gadget play. Uh, some team has a disastrous start and they just fumble three, you know, things like that. This one was, like you said, it was just straight up they beat them. Like, that was something that I had not seen in a while quarterback play from tj finley like legitimately might have been the best quarterback play since they've gotten up to the fbs level right tyler jones all those guys they always they there was always something missing with a lot of their good performances it was always kind of within the system how good they were tj finley looked like cam newton sometimes like there was one that one pass he threw i forgot who it was in the second quarter pocket collapses he just rolls out like because he's so huge he's like six seven so he was able to just roll off a defender and just like off his like uh steps into the throw and just throws it towards the end zone touchdown it was like he never did that at lsu and auburn i don't know where that came from like i was like (laughs) i didn't know he could move like that and then he had a rushing touchdown as well like yeah so like a lot of the play he looked like somebody totally different than what i thought he was i'm scared bro 
I uh I thought week two was gonna be a pretty oh my gosh easy, yes easy UTSA and Texas State play next week for, for UTSA and this feels a lot like I'd imagine Texas State fans felt after they saw Jeff Trailer kind of coaching this for like oh man this sure. is uh this is gonna get this this changed the equation right this, and you watch this you week watch, is gonna be fun <laughs> you watched yesterday you watched yesterday and you watched what they yeah. did to Baylor and they just straight up beat them and you go uh oh that changed the equation a little bit. Yeah. You'll need to scratch all your plans for next week and just go to that game. Like <laughs> it's <laughs> it's it's gonna be mad. It's gonna be so fun. I'll I'll say this because obviously I, I went to Texas State and I covered them, so I have a lot of Texas State followers and things like that. This game woke up like a sleeping giant in terms of a fan base. <laughs> because now I woke up this morning, I started checking my phone. Everybody's on a hate a UTSA hate train again. Dude, that was I, that was not there. My mentions are <laughs> in shambles. I got the university president in there asking me when my power pole's coming out and stuff like that. Like, I, <laughs> like, I, like, that's so good. This is, this uh, is a fan and, base and again, I not... love it. Like, I love yeah, it. Like, no, this is what college yeah, yeah. football is supposed to say, be. Like, as long football. as it's like in fun and all, like, this is what college sure, football is sure. supposed to be. Like, this is good. Like, I made that comment in the summer that this rivalry matters more to Texas State than it does to UTSA. And the sure. reason that I said that is because like this, like this is a program defining week for Texas State. If Texas yeah. State can follow up a win over Baylor with a win on the road against UTSA and Jeff Trey, like it's rocket ship, like hyperdrive packed, you know, like they are they are on their way. Um, but they could lose this game by 20 and, and it kind of stunts some of that momentum. And so sure. uh, it's gonna be a big week. And if you're T UTSA, uh it this is a lose-lose situation for you because like you win and you're supposed to but like you watch that film and i know which team played better in week one i know what offense looked better in week one and so yeah, uh, yeah i uh i don't get to be on the wednesday show so i wanted to just talk a little bit about utsa texas state there no, sure i'm nervous for anybody listening i i'm nervous so all right so, go ahead yeah go i was on. gonna say quick question here before we move on is is aranda on the hot seat after this I was just, no, I was just, we're just going to okay. talk about Baylor now. Like, look, there is another team on the other side of this equation in the state. Yeah. And this looked bad. Really bad. <laughs> like, as all the hype for Tech State, awesome. I'm very happy with it. This looked bad for Baylor. Uh, defensively, looked bad. It looked like, no offense, it looked like Palage hadn't called a defense since he had a powder puff game in, in, in early 2000s. Um, but yeah, also, that, lead, that lead was going to go one way or the other, depending on how. <laughs> I said, regardless, it is an accurate lead. It's, yeah. it's either cute or right. it's, that makes sense. Right. Um, offensively, though, I don't like, I don't know where the, I still don't know where the playmakers are. I thought it was Richard Reese and he, you know, granted, he can get going this year. It's one game, right? But I thought the passing game would be better. And Blake Shapin had to basically kind of like hobble himself out there and like force himself to like keep this offense going because there's just, it looked so drab. The play calling looked so uninspired. And it almost looked like, to me, it looked like they were just like shell shocked. He's like, what's Texas State doing? What's this? Like, what, they're, they're blitzing us. They're kind of being creative on defense. And yeah. To, to to answer your question, yes, Mallory. Like I think mm -hmm. after this game, we're looking at this season saying, I, I thought November we would kind of know. Like by November, we'll, we'll look at October. <laughs> we might be moving that up to October. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to get on the Blake Shapin 
thing because like to no, me no, no. He, he wasn't he wasn't bad but i'm saying like he had to like the fact that they were playing him late when he was clearly hurt yeah that like they were just forcing him to like drag this offense forward yeah i just think and i'm not talking about us i just think in general it's easier to sure, talk sure. about the offensive side of the ball so everything gets to the quarterback but like i still think it's important to go back to 2021 when baylor was winning all those football games and like let's just yeah. this, these are the points that baylor was scoring down the stretch in 2021 to win against texas and like the big they 31 28 27 20 27 21 21 they went six and one in those games mm-hmm. right like now they cannot win unless they score 40 points like the defense yeah. as where that's really gone and if i'm aranda that's what i'm concerned about because you have to be good on the side of the ball that you're right. the guy on right like yeah if texas is struggling offensively that's on sark if baylor's struggling defensively that's on aranda that's what he does like even if you're not the dc like that that is your side of the ball you better be good there when Baylor was really good in 2021, they dominated up front on the offensive line, and then they just beat people down defensively. And they do mm-hmm. neither of those. Texas State whipped them. Like, they yeah. whipped that offensive line. Uh, that, to your point earlier about the defensive line playing really well and just lining up and blitzing and getting after shaping, like, that Texas State front seven whooped Baylor's behind. Um, and then that Baylor defense, they just don't have any dudes. They didn't. Mm-hmm. They just don't – they don't have an elite pass rusher – they don't have badass middle linebackers anymore. They don't have a Jalen Petrie that can just go be a superstar and, and take things away and be a blitzer and just kind of this Swiss Army knife that does everything. They just don't have those guys. Um, and they haven't put the, those type of players back into the program since they've lost them. Uh, I'd be worried. I thought, Mike, I thought Mike Smith would be that guy, and he was non-existent. Yeah, he he, he was not. Like, think about, like, this is Baylor's. These are, these are their neck. Like, they play Utah in week two. They have a they get a win against Long Island, obviously in week three. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But then they they host Texas in week four. They go to UCF in week five, and God. then they're back. Then they're back home against Texas Tech in week six. Guys, Baylor could be one and five. Yeah, yeah. Baylor can be one and five half halfway through this season, like two and four maybe, three and three at best. Right? You know, like we're starting yeah. to get into will they be a five hundred team? And to your point, Mallory, that would make three out of four years. If they don't have a winning record this year, that would be three out of four years under him. And you got to be under the hot seat. You just have to be. I don't know if he would get fired, uh, but you absolutely have to be under the microscope. Uh, and it's just crazy. Again, we were talking about this earlier with how turned for Sonny Dykes. Dave Aranda led Baylor to their best finish in program history 18 months ago. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and we're already having this conversation. I think it's a fair conversation. That's just how college football can change so quickly. Well, not to mention, yeah, like, sure. these are – Aranda's guys now too. I mean, they're not Matt Rule's guys anymore. Yep. So Travis Roeder from from uh, Sikkim three six five tweeted out: uh, Blake Shaven had a ninety three grade for per PFF, which is utterly elite, you know, numbers wise, with a protect pass protection grade of forty two. Right now, for those of you that don't know, the PFF grade that might be a little high, but it's regardless. It's saying in spite of what's going on around him, here's how we think the quarterback did with the situations given. A passing grade of 42 is awful. Last year, according to PFF, their worst grade was 56, right? And then most of the games were in the 70s and 80s, which is which is good considering the year before they were like one of the best offensive lines in the country. <clears throat> we thought that this offensive line would be better. They bring in Baring, Clark Barrington, right, to be kind of be the captain of that offensive line. And they just got pushed. 
again, again, and Texas State runs a three down lineman system. Like they weren't, it wasn't four on five. You know, they weren't running five down, four or five down linemen. They were just blitzing a lot, and Baylor couldn't pick it up, and they didn't know what to do. So again, now it looks like Blake Shapen. We'll see because I know I saw there are people chanting for Sawyer Robertson. Who listen, I like Sawyer Robertson. I, I think he's fine. <laughs> um, I'm not benching Blake Shapen for him <laughs> uh, personally. And but now it looks like they might have to because he may have an injury because he was hobbling out there. I believe Dave Miranda said he injured his MCL. They'll mm-hmm. have to get an MRI on that. We'll see. But the fact I was more concerned that they were still playing him when he was clearly hurt and they were not protecting him at all. So I don't know if they exact if they aggravated something that was already pretty bad. We'll see. Um Sawyer Robertson. Again, I don't think he's ready right now. That's my that's my thing with him. Um, highly tied a recruit out of Lodi Coronado. I think he has talent, but I don't think he's ready to be thrown in the fire right now. <clears throat> RJ Martinez is the other quarterback behind him. I think he's more ready because he played at the FCS level and has playing experience. But we'll see, regardless of what uh, what comes of Blake Shapen. But yeah, now it's interesting times for uh, for Baylor. Um, yeah. So all right, let's get on to our last game of the week: Houston seventeen. UTSA 14. Oh boy. Um, this one was ugly. <laughs> this one was not fun to watch. Um, Houston debuted those beautiful love you blue Oilers. And that was about the best looking thing on the field. Um, <laughs> actually, I won't say that. <laughs> I won't say that. Houston's I'll say on the positive side, Houston's defense. Fantastic. If you ask them, to, <laughs> if you ask them to win this game last year, that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Right. If you ask them to, have Frank Harris help Frank Harris play his worst game. Probably I've seen him play in a UTSA uniform. I don't think they can get, I don't think they can get three picks off him. I don't think they can make him look uncomfortable. I don't think they could. I mean, Gordon Barnes had over hundred yards. I don't want to say stop the run, but like contain the run kind of. So if I'm going to stay on the positive side for Houston, I think, yeah, I don't know if they win this type of game last year because it was a defensive, more defensive effort and an ugly game. And they just did not do that at all at times last year. So I'm going to give Doug Belk some credit because we'll talk about what maybe why Frank Harris had his worst game in a UTSA uniform, but I think they're not able to capitalize on this in the way that they did. So, yeah, I mean, regardless, this is a game that people were kind of looking at saying is Houston on upset alert and all this momentum, not even about the uniforms, just the first big 12, first team, first game is a big 12 game or big 12 team. Do they come out flat and, no, I think the offense is going to have issues this year. I had questions about that, but I think the defense t- taking a step forward is something that I'm very uh, optimistic about. Yeah, defense for Houston looked really good. Doug Belk had those guys playing well again back on the defensive line, getting some pressure, um, sack ab, that kind of stuff. Like Nelson Caesar had a great game. Like they they mm-hmm. they're playing up there. Um, I think the the biggest thing for Houston is the improvement in the secondary. That secondary yes. was atrocious <laughs> last year. Like the, the 2022 Houston secondary was absolutely awful. And they were bad on yeah. third down because of that. Um, they couldn't blitz as much as Belk wanted to because they needed as many people to populate the secondary as possible. Uh, that secondary has gotten better. They added some talent through the transfer portal. They were a lot better. Alex Hogan's back healthy. Uh, they were really good. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you're happy with what Donovan Smith is at quarterback. I think that's how Houston's going to try to win football games this year. It's not going to be old yeah. school air raid Dana Holgerson scoring 50 points. It's going to be more ground and pound. Uh, don't do anything dumb, field position. Don't turn the ball over tough guys out. Like just what you would think of as a Donovan Smith type offense when he was at Texas tech. I think the bigger story here is UTSA, honestly, like mm-hmm. um, that defense was fine. The defense looked good. You know, 
uh, Lep's defense. They've had consistency on the defensive side of the ball that they haven't had offensively in the coaching staff, and I think it's starting to show up. Third offensive coordinator in three years. Uh, even if that is Jeff Trailer's offense for the most part, like you got different play callers and different fields for the game and what they like. Sure. And then, you know, honestly, Frank Harris looked like a guy who was losing two of his best three receivers. You know, uh, JT Clark was out injured. Zachary Franklin's no longer on the roster. And also a guy who maybe had four surgeries on his left knee in the offseason and didn't have spring ball and didn't really throw the ball again until July and didn't start right. moving around and really practicing until August. He looked rusty. He looked, mm -hmm. he looked out of sync. You know, the whole offense looked out of sync. And uh, no matter how many games you played, you need to practice. You need to be on that field. You need to be working in the offseason. You need to be building that stuff, especially with new weapons on the outside. And because of his injuries, he wasn't able to do that. And it looked like a rusty, out of sync offense. And Frank Harris, like you said, probably had his worst performance since Jeff Trailer's been on campus. And uh, yeah. it's just kind of a reminder of like how much he's carried this team mm -hmm. because like I was watching that game and the whole time he just figured he was going to lead to touchdown. You know, sure. I was like, you just give him the ball. He's going to lead it back. And he just didn't have it. You know, the three straight drives in the third quarter with, with interception. I think he threw three interceptions and three straight passes. At, at it was something like that. Yeah. Um, and was, so, yeah. you know, it was just a, as out of sync offense with a new offensive coordinator, new weapons and a quarterback that, you know, dealt with some stuff injury wise all offseason that didn't allow him on the field. I will say this though, uh, the sky's not falling in San Antonio. I, I think yeah. you watch Texas State beat Baylor and then you go on the road and you lose to a Houston team that that nobody thinks is going to be that great this year. And it's very easy, especially for UTSA fans that have like no perspective at all because they've only been sports fans for like a decade now. Right. Uh, like they just have no idea of how any of this stuff works. It kills me. It absolutely, <laughs> it absolutely like murders my soul. But anyway, uh, I think that there's like just a lot of worry in that in that fan base right now. Like, oh my gosh, like what are we going to be this year? Uh, I think Frank's going to come back and, and be really, really good. You know, like I think that's going to wake that group, uh, that football group up on the offensive sure. side of the ball. Uh, but a bad performance for sure. And one that the offense is going to have to figure out. Yeah, the Houston being able to really generate a lot of pressure on Frank Harris, like you mentioned, <clears throat> not only it didn't look like a guy who went from like December to July without really throwing a ball, but I think the receiver thing was was a pretty big issue because he's somebody who, when pressure broke down, especially last year when they didn't have you know a healthy offensive line, he was some guy who was able to kind of make things happen, and then just if things just broke down there's Zachary Franklin, right? It was just like, you know, there, there's three F power five, potentially caliber receivers that I'm just going to throw to and somebody's going to get open, right? And it looked like Houston was like, oh, they only got one of these dudes now. You know, they only got, you know, we can double up on a couple of these guys and let somebody else do something. Because there were a lot of times where Frank Harris had to be flushed out and he's looking, nobody's open. Or he was like, I'm going to force this. And that's kind of where the picks came from. So yeah, I think the story is more UTSA, um, but and and Houston's defense, right? The offense kind of is what it is. Um, it's not going to be the most pretty. I'm curious to see <clears throat> if they play because obviously Houston has the better athletes, and and so somebody like a UTSA is not going to necessarily get a push up front on def on defense. So I'm curious to see what Houston looks like when they do face a team with more guys on on uh, on the defensive line. But regardless, they were able to get the job done, right? Uh, offensively which is what you're going to see, which is what you want to see. Um, I was impressed with Samuel Brown and Joseph Manjack for them, right? We were wondering mm -hmm. how that unit looks without Tank Dell. I'm very optimistic now. Like, I think that they're not going to be Tank Dell, but, you know, replacement by committee. I'm a, I, I saw the vision there. Um, 
as far as yeah, as far as UTSA, like you mentioned, it be all of a sudden next week becomes a huge game for them. Um, but if there's any team, literally any team in the state that I think can rebound off a dis- what they consider a disappointing loss, yeah, I think it's this team. I think it's this quarterback. I think it's this head coach. So um, yeah, the sky may be falling to some people, but I'm this is literally the one team in the state where I'm like, I'm very confident that they're not going to show out like this next next week. All right, let's get to power pole, reverse power pole. And let's start at the bottom, but not a bad debut for Sam Houston. Uh, 14-0, they lose at BYU and Provo. I mean, look, I kept looking at the score because I had it on in the background. I was watching, I was, I was editing some some stuff last night, and I had it on in the background, and I just kept seeing 7-0, 7-0, mm-hmm. 7-0. And I'm like, is Sam Houston hanging around at a Big 12 school in their FBS debut. Of course, the offense was always going to be the issue, right? <clears throat> Keegan Shoemaker, we'll talk about that in a bit. But the defense was going to be the thing that they hang their hat on this season. And they looked fantastic. Keaton Slovis couldn't really do anything, right? This is a good – LJ Martin, right? Shout out LJ Martin from uh, from El Paso. Yeah. Like, this, he's, a, he's, a, he's an awesome – I can't believe we let that guy lead the state. But, you know, regardless – He's going to be a great player for them, but they have guys on that offense, and this defense went toe-to-toe with them until the fourth quarter when they finally scored a second touchdown. <laughs> um, if you're a Sam Houston fan, obviously you'll see about the offense when you get down to Conference USA play and maybe you know teams that are more at your level. I'm very optimistic about this defense potentially being pretty damn good this year. Yeah, defense looked absolutely fantastic. Um, got a lot of guys back that had redshirted the last, you know, five games of last year that really held linebacker core is really good. The defensive line was great. Um, yeah. They had a couple transfers coming in the middle um, that, that were really good. The edges looked good. The, the state, like even the secondary uh, was excellent. Can't say enough about the defensive side of the ball. They kept them in there. At one point, it looked like Sam Houston was about to tie it and the, the touchdown got called back because of a penalty. Yeah. And they just mm-hmm. couldn't, they just couldn't do anything offensively. Um, so yeah, I'm no doubt that the defense is conference USA ready. They're going to be in the middle to top half of defenses. I, I don't worry about the physicality. I mean, Casey Keeler can coach his ass off. Like he's just really good at this. Yeah. Right? It's like the, you know, the, like Matt Brown, Brian Kelly, Nick Saban are like the only coaches like active with more wins than Casey Keeler. He knows what he's going to, he knows what he's doing They're Sam mm-hmm. Houston's going to win a couple of games just because they're better coached than other teams. Uh, but the offense is the offense. And it was the yeah. offense of last year. With Keegan Shoemaker, they changed coordinators, but it doesn't look like much is different. And I don't even put it a lot on Shoemaker. Like, they couldn't run the football. And, like, no. if Sam Houston's going to have success on the offensive side of the ball, it's going to be because they run the football and then use play action to kind of do some things offensively, quick passes, that kind of stuff. I think they – I mean, they average fewer than two yards rushing on the game. Like, they just couldn't right. do anything. Herbacek couldn't get going. Um, and so, uh, if you're not running the football, now all of a sudden Shoemaker or Gunnell or whoever is in there at quarterback – um, has to throw the ball, you know, 30 plus times. And that, that's just not the game plan. And so uh, yeah. a good first opening for Sam Houston. I think the worry is that you move up and you just get blown out. And then everybody's like, oh, we don't belong here. And they turn that off and they come back at a later date. But I think if you're a Sam Houston fan, you watch that game and maybe it wasn't exciting. Maybe it wasn't yeah. fun, but it was encouraging. And if you can hang with BYU, uh, you're going to be okay in, in Conference USA. Mm-hmm. We always saw Jack State move up and beat UTEP. And so I think if you're a Conference USA, if you're a Sam Houston, you go, Guys, we can be in the middle of the pack here. You know, we may not be Western Kentucky out of the gate, 
but we're as good as any of these middle of the pack conference USA teams. And if you can sniff towards six and six, that's an incredible year. And the way they played yesterday, you feel like it's possible. Yep. hundred percent. Um, for those, there may be some people wondering about the Grant Cannell question. He's still learning the offense, right? He's not going to play. I th- if he does play, it'll be this week. He was never going to play against BYU, in my opinion. Um, I think it'll be this week at Air Force, pending Keegan Shoemaker, right? Still, I think he is the guy. He is a captain, so I think he will get the benefit of the doubt heading into that game. Um, unless something disastrous happens, I wouldn't expect to see Grant Cannell coming in. He's, again, still learning the offense. Um, they've liked what they've seen, but... I think that it hasn't been enough to bench Keegan Shoemaker uh, so far. So, again, we'll see a, t- a team that's more to their level this week um, when they when they host Air Force. All righty. Uh, Texas State's number 12, like we mentioned. <clears throat> Moving up to number 11. That may be top five. Yeah. <laughs> Not <laughs> 11 for uh utep uh, by the way yes this power poll by the way this isn't the power poll going forward this is the as is this week power poll so it will be updated so yeah text is not going to be 12 uh moving up to 11 utep 28 incarnate word 14 uh utep finally had a running game yeah (laughs) i was looking at the stats and i was like 329 on the ground for the first time (laughs) since they've tried to run the ball i can finally say that utep had a great running game Deion hankins over 100 yards on the ground. Fantastic game from him. Torrance Burgess, fantastic game from him. Uh, Gavin Hardison, he played, I guess, you know, I don't know. Like he, he had a fine game. He didn't have to stretch his arms that much, so it was fine. Um, of course, the hype in this one was, in my opinion, how to handle a legitimately good FCS team. And look, the defense, this is an offense in, in Incarnate Word that we knew was going to be pretty good and potentially be pretty good. Zach Calzada is an FBS caliber quarterback who they happened to get in, at Incarnate Word. And they held him in check. It was fine. Like, of course, it was close for a little bit, but this is a this is a good program in Incarnate Word. And in my opinion, I think UTEP won the game in the way that they should win the game, which is just control the ball. We have guys, theoretically, who are better athletes than Incarnate Word, bigger up front, we're just going to make sure that we can control this and manhandle them, and that's exactly what they did. UTEP, you you shouldn't be looking at this as like, oh, we only beat an FCS team. This is a playoff FCS team, a good team, good program with guys who probably, again, going back to that 2020 COVID year, probably got some guys that, they pro- that are probably better than FCS, in my opinion. So UTEP, after last week, I'd say this is a I, – I look at the – I'm going to choose to look at this as a positive and say hell of a job on the run game. And they're and defensively controlling a pretty good offense. I have it on pretty good authority at a pretty high up source on the UTEP football team. Hint, hint, uh, that they mm. did not think uh, that they were physical enough against Jack State. Like they, they, they thought that they got pumped. Um, that the offensive line, defensive line, did not dominate the trenches in the way that they should against a team that was just moving up from the FCS ranks. And that was the challenge all week. Was like you are a better football team than they, we have. Eighty five scholarships. They do not. Like, go yeah. wear down this team, uh, beat them up front. Let's go run the football. Let's be physical. Um, if I don't know if anybody ever gets bored and just wants to watch middle linebacker play, but Tyrese Knight <laughs> is exciting to watch. Like, that dude's a maniac. Yeah. Like, uh, over double-digit tackles again, probably going to lead the state. He reminds he's a lot like Katie Davis, right, where he's just, like, mm-hmm. always around the football and just a highlight package within a defense that isn't always great, uh, but he is. Deion Hankins with, with the big game, as you said, that's UTEP football. Like that's what Dana Dimmel wants to do. It doesn't always come mm-hmm. off because like, you know, they're UTEP and they can't always just line up and bully people. Uh, but yeah. that's what he wants UTEP football to look like. 
when they beat Boise State last year, for example, it was that kind of game where they just like lined up and knocked guys off the ball. Uh, we'll say if they're able to do that against com- conference competition, against FBS competition. Uh, but it was a good step forward. And I mean, you just want to win and get out of there, right? Against yep. a, a team that's dangerous. I mean, Texas State learned that a couple of years ago, you know, against Incarnate Word. Like mm-hmm. you can lose that football game and you want to win it more than you want to lose it, right? And so maybe it wasn't pretty, uh, but you won by 14. You won it. Uh, with relative ease. I mean, it was 21-14 for a while. It was 14-14 sure. and a half. Um, so yeah. it was a pretty close game, but it never really felt like UTEP was going to give it away. That defense was in such control. And that's pretty impressive against Incarnate Word offense that historically uh, has been really good, dating back to the Eric Morris years. Yep, 47 yards, on the, or 47 carries, I should say, for UTEP. So they definitely made a point to be very physical. All right, uh, number 10, Rice. Let's loop Rice and Texas into this. Uh, Texas, of course, is the number one team in our power poll. All right, Texas beats Rice. What was the final score? 37-10. If I'm sticking to Rice first, if I'm Rice, I think the biggest benefit is that Texas fans were pissed off in a 27-point win coming off of this one. They were like – Optimistic. They were like, when you were missing deep balls and blah, blah, blah. I was like – and I feel like – I was like, is Rice like within a score of this game? And they weren't at all. Um, But – we didn't expect Rice to win this game, right? But I think I'm trying to look at the so right if they couldn't run the ball, of course they couldn't run the ball. Texas defensive line looks really good. Um JT Daniels, I think if he's playing not Texas, I think is actually pretty good. Um Mallory, we talked about this on the midweek show. I think it's it was the worst thing for Rice for JT Daniels to play against a team that knows how to play against JT Daniels. Exactly. <laughs> and so he looked very uncomfortable, but of course he did. Texas is like, yeah, we've seen this guy on tape, it's fine. Um and defensively, like they look, they didn't look great, but Texas has the better athletes, so they were gonna they were gonna make plays. They were gonna you know run the ball on the ground pretty easily with Cedric, uh, Cedric Baxter, um, but they frustrated him a bit, and that's all I wanted to see from Rice in this game was like don't lose fifty to ten, right? Those days of that that Rice program's over. You should theoretically be within a respectable margin, which if Texas is the national title caliber contending team this year, supposedly. That's what I think the margin should be. So if I'm a Rice fan, cool, you're done. Move on to teams of your caliber and Rice didn't covered, get embarrassed. So. <laughs> they they didn't get embarrassed, there. man. They but... did cover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the defensive line uh, acquitted itself really well, especially in the first half against a you know a big and talented Texas offensive line. I mean, as the second half started going, of course, they got worn down a little bit. They just don't have the depth, sure. right? You could yeah. see them. You could see them on the field through the TV. Just, I mean, they were dying. They, they were yeah. playing a lot of snaps. It was hot as hell. It was a two thirty kickoff in Austin, um, and so they got worn down. They got beat in the second half. But you know, I, I think if you're an underdog like that in these non-conference games, you really look at the first half because you don't have the depth and the attrition and the talent uh, to keep them in the third, fourth quarter. But the first couple quarters, if you can hang in there, um, that's a mm-hmm. little bit, you know, that's a good sign. And so I thought defensively they took a step forward. They were a little bit simpler, which I think helped them. I mean, Bloomgren talked about that all off season. Hey, he had Derek Mason in there as a, as a consultant to kind of like, here are the things you do. Well, let's just do those things, right? Like we don't have to be exotic mm-hmm. all the time. Let's just line up and play sound football. They tackled well, uh, all the stuff that they didn't do last year. I think JT Daniels is going to be fine. Luke McCaffrey had a pretty good game. Um, the offensive line for rice is just completely overwhelmed against Texas. And yeah. that was always going to be true on um, the Texas yeah. side of the ball. I think some of the concern is uh, valid. I mean, you're going into Alabama next week. Uh, you want to be running on on all cylinders going into that game. Uh, and Quinn Ewers is still Quinn Ewers. Like, he still struggles yeah. doing the thing that he struggled doing the thing of last year, and that's throwing the ball deep. He was 0 of 8 
uh, for balls that traveled 20 yards or more in the, in the air. He did not connect on a deep ball all game. That offensive line did not bully rice in the way that you thought that they would. I mean, we, we talked about how the running game at Texas may not take that big a step back, even with losing Bajan Rob, uh, Bajan, uh, and Roshan because the offensive line was mm-hmm. so good, but I don't think that's true anymore. I mean, that offensive line uh, maybe looked better because of Bajan Robinson and Rashawn Johnson last year. Sure. So they're going to have to figure that out. CJ Baxter got hurt uh, in the first half and didn't play in the second half. So what does the running back situation look like? Uh, but, it, but again, like Texas was always going to be look when you know all year that you're playing Alabama week two, it's probably pretty mm-hmm. tough to get into the playbook and worry about rice in week one, right? Like that's human yeah. nature, teenagers, uh, early twenties, like they they know what's up. Like they read newspaper. They, they probably not the newspaper, but they read articles <laughs> and social media, and so they yeah. know who they have next week. They were probably going to sleepwalk through Rice, and if they go to Tuscaloosa and play really well next week and beat Alabama. Nobody's going to remember that they didn't play that great against Rice. And had they played great against Rice and then gone to Alabama and lost by twenty, nobody would have cared that they played great against Rice. <laughs> Uh, so you get yeah. out of this game, you set up a week two battle against Alabama, and you go try to win that football game. That's where Texas is as a program right now. Yeah, I agree. I, I will say, yeah, Quinn Ewers, the deep ball thing, that's starting to get a little concerning now. Because, again, at South Lake Carroll, he had an arm, and it was all about, like, reeling that talent in, and it looks like he still hasn't yet. Um, I will say Xavier Worthy looks, like, healthy. <laughs> he looks healthy. Like He looks yes. really, really spry this year, um, or at least to start this year. A.D. Mitchell – I'm, I'm very interested to see him as a number two, right? This is the depth of the wide receivers that they have not had before. Um, and the one thing I will say on a positive of Quinn Ewers, a lot of people talked about him slimming down, him cutting the hair, all that. He did look spry. Like yeah. he was moving around in a way that I did not think Quinn Ewers was able to. He's always been mobile in the pocket, but he was able to get out of the pocket, move around, actually sc- like looked pretty good. So the athleticism things about him losing weight, him getting quick, that looks legitimate because – there were some moments last year where you're like, oh, yeah, he can't move like that. And in yesterday, he was able to get out of the pocket and kind of make some things happen. He had a touchdown on the ground. So we'll see if that's a new feature to his game that he's able to develop um, because that's something that I did not account for when I considered everything about his skill set. He, he looks pretty mobile. So we'll see. Uh, moving on to – all right, let's do it. Uh, North Texas, Cal 58, North Texas 21 – um mallory you were there um i, saw I wish this i one. wasn't <laughs> it, ugh, man i'm concerned um, should have just left at halftime well i left <laughs> third quarter so not <laughs> look listen, listen i don't blame you for that um here's where my concern lies and i will let mallory take it from here it's not even that they lost to cal right cal's a i guess an acc team now but a power five team hmm. but they lost to cal Running the ball Cal's into not- their back of the quarterback. <laughs> that I am, badly. I am a, I'm really concerned about the quarterback situation. I really am. Stone Earl started the game. Um, he threw two picks. They put Chandler Rogers in about halfway through the third quarter. He threw a pick. He couldn't do anything. They both just looked super, super uncomfortable. And that was very concerning. To your yeah. point-ish, the running game was extremely concerning. Very, very concerning. With three yeah. premier backs all returning from last year, they produced 41 yards, averaging one and a half yards per carry with three premier backs that they brought back from last year. This is what this yeah. team is known for. Is the I was about to say, they know how to run the ball, theoretically. <laughs> right. 
Well, and then to switch it over to the defensive side, that was concerning too. On the defensive side, UNT gave up 357 rushing yards, 312 passing yards, and six touchdowns total to a yeah. Cal team that's not good. They are not a good team. Like, been yeah, bad they're in the, yeah, they're in, the, in a P5 conference now moving to the to the ACC, but that's not a team that you need to be losing by 21 plus or more to. No. You know, I mean, the yeah. spread was seven. Like, I, I'm just <laughs> at a loss. What's seven? Oh, my God. <laughs> it, it had closed down to about five before kickoff. Uh, <laughs> shout out Jake Spavadol. Uh, got back on that. Yeah, yeah, man, he, Correct. Uh, when he when he's the he was OC, like, I'm coming back to Texas and yeah. I'm kicking some ass. I'm kicking when, butt. When <laughs> Spav is the OC good. and just gets to like worry about like making magic offensively, a uh, heck of a football <laughs> coach. He had a good time yesterday. Uh, be careful what you wish for. I'm just gonna stay silent. I'm gonna get fined if I talk anymore. So you know, that's just <laughs> what it is. I want to listen to I want to listen to the green room. Um, you can go ahead and listen to that podcast by the way on the network. Uh, Bruni and Colin did a post game and. It's very, to me, this is, here. here's where I say, it. this looked like a team that did not have the personnel to play the way they wanted to play, right? Mm-hmm. You mentioned the running backs. I don't think they know how to run the ball out of this personnel, out of this system, right? Eric Morris does, isn't a running coach, right? That, that was kind of the question mark, right? He, they've been a Seth Luttrell physical smash mouth team. And all of a sudden they bring in a guy who's known for quarterbacks and spreading the ball out and all that stuff. And so uh, I don't think the players all of a sudden forgot how to do what they do. I just think the coaches are like, all right, we have a good running back, but we also have this system that we need to install. And so we need to kind of fit this round peg into a square hole. And it's just like, it didn't work. The quarterback play. Look, when Stonar had one read to make and Jamori Macklin <laughs> down the field, <laughs> he was able to make that throw. <laughs> Jamori Macklin, that's probably the one positive I have from this game is that Jamori Macklin looks awesome and he looks legitimately like a star. Um, but yes, to your point, Stone Earl, when he had, I don't think he made a second read all game. His, he had, he, his helmet did not move when they took a snap. He had his, he had his man and that's the guy that I'm going to throw to. Yeah. Whether or not there's a defender there or not, I'm going to throw to him. Um, that's why I think you just start Chandler Rogers. Like, yeah, I agree. What, regardless of whether or not Chandler Rogers is good enough to get this team to a bowl or whatever, he's played live fire games and he knows how to improvise. When Stone Earl had to look off a guy, he couldn't. He just couldn't because that's not what you do in practice, right? You have your reads, you have your scout, you're playing the scout team. I'm, I would not be shocked to see Chandler Rogers start. I don't think Stone Earl was the problem, the problem in this game, right? We can talk about the defense. I think the defense is the biggest issue. That was, I think Eric Morris said it after the game, that was the worst tackling game he's ever seen. <laughs> um, the secondary looked awful. I think that looks, to me, when you're North Texas and you see a Texas State bring in transfers, right, to run their system, and you see a Colorado bring in transfers to run their system, I know North Texas had talent the past couple of years because they've made conference championship games. They've they, Obviously, they were able to rebound and save their season a couple of times, but they didn't have talent that fit this coaching staff. And I think that I know that Eric Morris can coach, right? We know that Eric Morris can coach football and coach quarterbacks. I think his biggest mistake was not doing it the way that he needed to in 2023, which is going and getting players that fit his personnel and trying to do with guys that are talented, but not just don't. There's no reason that Isaiah Johnson, Aodehi, and the Kaika Ragsdale, Oscar Attaway need to be in uh, an air raid system. No. Right. It's like, no, you need to fit to maybe fit their, what they do, which is 
line up and run over dudes. And so again, I a lot of I don't want to say a lot of people because um, there are some skeptics of the Eric Morris thing already. No, I don't think one game says it changes anything. In my opinion, what it does, if I do have a question mark, is why didn't he embrace the transfer portal more to then do what you need to do? Because if this season's a wash because he doesn't have the personnel, that's his fault too, mm-hmm. right? I'm not trying to ever give him a, a pass here. I'm trying to say, why didn't you see these issues and address them beforehand? So I don't know, because they didn't, they didn't bring in a lot of transfers at all. Right, they because they had talent, and so sure enough, but they didn't have talent that mixed. Yes. When GJ Kenny came into Texas State, he saw a lot of talent that didn't necessarily mix, and some talent that he that did, and so he kept some, he let some go. Awesome. Similar to Colorado, right? Of course, that team was bad, so he just kind of left everybody go. But you get what I'm saying. In 2023, you need to have that kind of thing uh, where it's you have to have a mentality of we can rebuild this overnight with the transfer portal. And I think he, again, he, I think he's a good coach, but this was probably the worst debut I think he could have possibly had um, as okay. far as like uh, showing the project going forward. So yeah, we'll see. All right. Um, Houston, we talked about them. Baylor, we talked about them. SMU, I'll touch on this one really quick. Um, I was at this one, SMU 38, LaTeX 14. Um, there was no hangover from the AACC announcement at all. Um, And that was after talking to some people on the boulevard after there was a literal hangover for a lot of people. (laughs) There was was a literal hangover from like, yeah, no, my friend's not coming tonight. He's still hungover from partying last night uh, after the announcement. Uh, If I'm SMU and Red Lashley talked, I saw this during the game and Red Lashley confirmed it afterward. I was watching, I was like, man, they're really just like imposing their will on this team in a very boring way. And it looks like very, it looked very boring. And Rhett Lashley literally used the phrase, he's like, yeah, I was a little boring today. And it was like, purposefully, right? He didn't want to do anything crazy. He didn't want to throw anything out there. They knew they could beat La Tech. And that's exactly, like Preston Stone was so calm, 22-37, 244, three touchdowns. LJ Johnson, 144 carries for 128. Like, this dude, he's insane. Jalen Knighton, 17 carries, 64 yards. They were able just to grind out game this game without doing anything flashy, right? They didn't take many deep shots. They were just able to control everything. And then the biggest thing, if I am SMU, the biggest thing that I'm happy about is that defense, defense kicked ass. Yeah. <laughs> that Hank Bachmeyer had no time to throw. Six sacks. Alex Kilgore, shout out him. I loved him when he was a Katie Pato. Debut, had back-to-back sacks on the same drive, starting as a true freshman. That's what SMU needed to do because last year, if they had this type of offensive performance, La Tech has 28 points, right? La Tech has 30 points. If they're able to control games like this and afford to be boring, and for Rhett Lashley to admit that, yeah, I was hoping to call this game pretty boring, they're in a very good spot. So, yeah, SMU, huge for them, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, SMU basically won by four possessions and only scored 38 points, you know, and that yeah. that's something that SMU doesn't do the last, you know, however long, you know, a really long time. I mean, even the June Jones, Sonny Dykes teams that were good didn't play defense very well. That was going to have to be the step four. Like, the offense is going to mm-hmm. be the offense. Like, any co- any team that Red Lashley coaches, whether it's, like, seventh grade B team or, you know, FCS, or like, they're going to score points. Like, the guy knows yeah. how to be an offense coordinator. He knows how to scheme up plays. He has plenty of time. RJ Maryland, like I'm still not sure how he caught that oh. touchdown pass. Like that dude's a oh stud. My God. 
I'm glad he's he committed. So in the, uh, I'm glad he committed in the Dave Campbell's Texas football offices. That was yeah. Uh, that I'm, was glad, I'm glad we added him to the All Texas team too. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's true. That's true. I can't, I can't remember who left to make that, or Don, I can't remember who left to make that. I think possible, it was Franklin, and it shifted some stuff. Oh around. yeah, that's right, that's right. Uh, but yeah, no, really good offensively. But yeah, that defense. I remember after last year, kind of talking to the SMU staff, and like I was putting together a piece of like what position groups need to get better at each school, and they were like, you know. Like, you know, like in reference to their secondary, <laughs> you, you know, yeah. like, you know, it's like, we don't have to tell you, you know what you just trust yourself on that one. Like, you know yeah. what it is. And they brought in like four different defensive backs, you know, Jonathan McGill, Charles Woods, a bunch of those guys. And that secondary looked really good. Like law tech's not a great team, but Sonny Cumbie yeah. knows how to call offense as well. Like that's an explosive team uh, that yep. can, that can score some points that can throw the rock around that would have scored 30 plus on SMU last year. Um, and they barely scored 14 this time. Like they scratched and clawed to that 14 points. And so uh, big, big effort for SMU. And as you mentioned, the fact that you were able to do that a day after all of that distraction was thrown mm-hmm. your way. Um, and so, I mean, they, the team found out at their team meeting at like eight o'clock in the morning on Friday, you know right. what I mean? Like it was a pretty crazy Friday, but do you have that kind of workmanlike uh, atmosphere and effort? I think that's a really important and a good sign for the second year staff. Another yeah, team, think, uh, another exactly. team that shows that the transfer portal thing isn't this boogeyman thing, and then you can exactly. show up and just play really good football. Exactly. Yeah, I mean Jordan Hudson, two catches, seventy-two yards, like you mentioned. Like, I mean, you can just look. Jake Bailey from last year, he was healthy, right? He was running around out there. He, he only had three, only had three catches, but they were they didn't go for any for many yards. But regardless, you saw like the depth of playmaker, right? That they were able to kind of just bring in overnight. Um, I mentioned the six sacks. Uh, you'll have a piece coming out. Uh, you're reading this on Sunday. We'll have you all. Craven, you will have a piece coming out on SMU and kind of culmination. Um, I added some quotes from Lashley and uh, Preston Stone about the hype leading into the game, right? Preston Stone gave a great answer about like, he's like, yeah, you know, it was, it was exciting and it's cool for the future, but like we're AAC right now, right? And it's like, that's what we're trying to do. And that's what we're trying. It was a very mature answer um, saying like, cool. Yeah. I can't wait to be part of the ACC, but we're AAC right now. And that's the mission. So um, I believe this game was 31 nothing at one point before Alatech got on the board. So I want to make sure, like, I emphasize how clearly they controlled this game um, before LaTeX finally got on the board. So uh, moving on, number five, we mentioned UTSA. Number four, uh, Texas A&M, 52, New Mexico 10. Look, we know it's New Mexico, um, but the, the, the question mark in this game was how good does this offense look? right away and my god there was downfield passing going on (laughs) there was uh talent that was letting that was allowed to be talent uh evan stewart looks insane noah thomas shout out word he's coming into his own it looks like connor wigman didn't have to show out too much but he was able to show out what he was able to do 18 and 23 236 five touchdowns Awesome first test. Again, go read Naomi Brown's uh, dispatch from there. She gave her three thoughts on everything. And again, this is AM. I think Carter picked them, picked New Mexico to cover just because AM doesn't blow teams out. Yeah. Right. That's just now not how they've operated under Jimbo Fisher. And it was awesome. They blew them out. Like, this is what people wanted to see where it's like, we have five star talent. Treat them like five star talent. Yeah, and Bobby Petrino's lone press conference availability since he's been an AM offense coordinator, which is stupid in its own right to say out loud. <laughs> yes. uh, he talked about how his philosophy on offense is FTS, feed the studs. And he has plenty of those, and he gave them the football. And Connor Wegman had as many touchdown passes as he had incompletions. Uh, he was able to get on the edge and move his feet a little bit, move outside the pocket, 
Uh, just get the ball to the dudes that are awesome. The running backs looked really good. I think that was kind of a question mark for AM offensively mm-hmm. is like, what's the running game going to look like? The blocking could have been better, but, you know, I, I think it was fine. Um, they had a true freshman starting at, at one of the tackle spots. So there was going to be some, some inconsistency there. Like what is Bryce Foster's health availability and stuff. So mm-hmm. there, there's some questions for AM moving into that Miami week, but much like the Texas rice game, you want to stay healthy. You want to have yep. some positive stuff and you just want to move into that second week motivated. I think Texas A&M did all of those things. And if you're an Aggie fan, um, you look at those playmakers on the defensive line and you look at them on the offense and you go, okay, well, there's that recruiting stuff that we thought we were going to get. Like we're starting mm-hmm. to see the talent, you know, the cream rise to the top, and it feels like in second year with Durkin on defense and now having a competent offensive play caller on the offensive side of the ball, you know, AM could be like the LSU of 2023 and kind of surprise some people in the SEC West. They're that talented. They're the, you know, according to the blue chip ratio and all those kind of stuff, I mean, they're the top five talented team in the nation. Um, and so they sure. have the talent to do it. Uh, now it seems like they have the coordinators to do it as well. It was just New Mexico who may be the worst team in the FBS. So let's like not jump too far forward there. Uh, sure, but sure. We, lo- we saw them play against Sam Houston last year and win 30 to nothing and go like, oh, I don't know. Like, that's, yeah, not, right. that's not very good. Uh, and so like they they looked a lot better. And that's all you can do against New Mexico, right? Is like play the people yeah. that are in front of you. And they had New Mexico and they dominated. Yep, 100%. All right, now they get a real test. Uh, all right, last game, last team that we'll talk about um, <laughs> this one. Uh, Texas Tech, Wyoming, 35. Texas Tech, 33. Um, I was... I was quote unquote worried about this game in that Wyoming's a solid team to go on the road against to open your season. And yeah, um, look, credit to Wyoming. They threw everything at them, right? And they came out with a massive win. Uh, they looked like they were playing for they looked like they knew they were welcoming a power five team to their to their home home field because they were ready to go. Now, of course, this game was delayed a little bit, weather, all that stuff, but still. Texas Tech hyped off season. We were trying to see, oh man, all right, here's 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 the potential, the breakout year for them. Could still be that it's game one, but I mean, man, they could not run the ball really. Their own their best running game, their best running was Tyler Shuck power, <laughs> uh, which was pretty good. It worked a couple times. Um, Jaron Brantley had to kind of or Jaron Bradley had to kind of bail them out a couple times uh with some really good, really good plays on his part. He had a late touchdown that was an insane grab. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. They it looked like they started really well. And then it just kind of they did not have that lead foot that needed to like because they were at what 17-3, I think it was at one point. And then they didn't have that, yeah. And then and then they didn't have that lead foot to be like, all right, and here's where we here's where you see a big 12 contender put the foot down and say, cool, 24, nothing, 31, you know, like they really extend the lead. They just let Wyoming hang around and the offense was too good to not eventually bust through Uh, that quarterback. Andrew Peasley was, was just a, a, a dog out there. Like he didn't have the best passing game, but he was able to just like take hits and keep the ball moving and, yeah, I mean, huge win for Wyoming, and you're kind of scratching your head and like, what was that if you're a Tech fan? <laughs> well, first off, Tech is now one and five on the road under Joey McGuire. Um, <laughs> they were one and four, or one, or yeah, one and four on the road last year, yeah. lost their first four road games last year uh, under McGuire, but those were against really good teams. This was kind of the sure. first real like upset on the road uh, in, a, in a big way. So that's something to kind of figure out under Joey. Um, Tech scored to go up 17-0 with 4.02 left in the first quarter. They did not score another point until 41 seconds were left in the game. 
right? Mm-hmm. So they just uh, completely went through a lull there. Tyler Shuck, not his best game. The wide receivers didn't have didn't have big games. It kind of felt like they started off really well. They go up 17-0. This thing's going to be a breeze. This thing's going to be easy. And all of a sudden, they got right. into a dogfight, and they weren't quite sure, you know, how to turn it on. And then, you know, they did in the second half. or They did in, like, the last part of the fourth quarter and then in overtime. But at that point, it was just a little too much. To, you, you play with your food too long, right? A lot yep. of penalties. A lot of just dumb mistakes. Some of that could be the late start. But again, they got off to a 17-0 start. So you just put your foot on their neck and go finish off the game, and they weren't able to do that. Uh, now you got to go back home and play against a really good Oregon team and, and, and maybe go 0-2 with all that momentum uh, during the offseason. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about with TCU and, and uh, UTSA at the very beginning, right? Like how quickly uh, those things can change. Uh, and, you know, you go from being – kind of this dark horse big 12 champion to like, Oh, well, is tech even any good, you know? And so it's just week one. I wouldn't overreact anyway. Like I think we may overreact to like Texas state winning. We may overreact Mm -hmm. to like Texas tech losing. Right. And there's probably um, some in between there or whatever, but if you're tech, you got to figure out how to do this on the road. You got to get Tyler Shuck and those wide receivers back on the same page. Cause you got a big, big game coming up in week two, but the road, the road worries are the big concern for the red Raiders right now. Yeah, no, 1,000%. Um, I will say I watched this and I realized what, why Baron Morton may be more talented, but I realized why Joey McGuire likes Thomas Shuck, right? Because when the passing game just was not working, he was able just to tuck it and run, say, you know what, we're getting yards, right? We're getting something generated. He was able to stay pretty calm, I'd say, when things weren't going right. And I think that that maturity and that kind of veteran uh, savvy is, in my opinion, why he's still the guy as opposed to, you know, them pulling the ripcord and giving the future the the, the ball already. I just want to say one thing, like um, the amount of Texas fans and even like Texas media yeah. that like celebrated all the big 12 losses, like, you oh, know, God, like TCU know, Tech know. and Baylor and lost, like it's like the lamest thing in the world <laughs> yeah. uh, because like you couldn't win the big 12 either. Right. You know, like your, your coach is 13 and 12 in yeah. his in his first two years in the Big 12 or whatever. Joey could win five games this year and have the same record as Sark in his first two years in the Big 12. Like, it's hilarious how much, like, the SEC has already infected their brain. And it's, right. like, this idea of, like, we're now Bama and we're now Georgia. And, like, Texas fans for, like, the last 15 years have been complaining on how, like, most teams in the SEC just, like, coattail ride Alabama and Georgia's success and act like they've had them on their own and like Texas is doing it before they even join the conference. And it's like right. just the dorkiest, lamest, dumbest thing in the world. And you expect it from like fans, but when sure. you like, see like real cut media, like trying to like bury Brett Yormark because like tech lost to Wyoming or TCU lost to Colorado or whatever, when like, you know, Texas stinks too. Like, it's just like a really right. funny loser. It's just like, it just shows how, cause like on one hand, it's like, we don't care about Texas tech. They only care about us. And then like you're up right. at midnight texting about or tweeting about Texas tech, losing to Wyoming. It's like, you're such a effing dork. Like you're just a loser. <laughs> Absolute well, losers. Yeah, no, it's definitely that. It, it feels like a, it's an insecurity bias. Right? Oh insecurity. yeah. yeah. Yes. Right. That's so where it comes like, from. Right. right. Yeah. And Texas, so. that, that's the Texas fan base in a nutshell, yes. right? Is just well, like, sure. Sure. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, you know, thinking that you're like awesome. Um, even right. though you're, you're born on third base and you can't make it home. Uh, right. you know, unless you have Vince Young, uh, right. you know, like, and so I, I'm 40 years old and, yeah. you know, I've seen Texas be good under one coach, uh, and, and never again. 
Uh, yeah. And so like, it's just really weird to see them already like high stepping their way into the sec or, you know, it's like, <laughs> guys, come on. Like, let's like, yep. you know, let's have some perspective and you get it from the fans. I just thought of, I think it's just weird how the media is doing it too. Like, it's I know like, that's, it's a little, it's just yeah, a very like, weird. I, I don't know. I don't get what it, what, what's going on, but it's a very weird, right. a weird thing. It's, it's, a, it's an illness. Media. The sec illness uh, is contagious it's and it's, it's growing. Right. <laughs> uh all right so like i said T- um finishing up the power pole tcu texas of course that will i mean at least the tcu part will definitely change after this week uh yeah so there you go that's our first recap episode of the year craven you will be in lubbock correct this week yeah took a little sting off of it you know with uh yeah, tech losing at, at, at wyoming won't be as big of a game but uh yeah we'll be there uh in tech big uh, fox big news or fox, well, i can't remember what the show is ever called fox big noon kickoff, big kickoff. On Saturday. yeah big noon uh, kickoff was Saturday. supposed to be in lubbock they've uh taken an audible and they're going to boulder <laughs> Uh, they're just gonna follow around Deion Sanders, as, you know, say, for the rest, keep the rest of his life or whatever. Um, so yeah, not as exciting of a matchup in, in Lubbock yeah. anymore with Texas Tech losing. But I think they play really well at home. That place will be packed. It'll be a night game. They'll they'll play a lot better. Maybe they have a better shot of of knocking off Oregon than they did had they won that game. Um, so we'll see if if Joey's able to get that get that back going. But yeah, that's where I'll be. I leave uh, Friday. Pretty excited about it. Okay, awesome, awesome. So we'll be back Wednesday. With our previous show, Craven will probably have you call in again and talk about that one. Um, but yeah, we'll join us live for then at 2 p.m. Wednesday, uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, YouTube, all that stuff. And subscribe to the Republic of Football on everywhere you get your podcast. Everybody's gonna be dropping their crazy reactions. If you want a biased take from one of your fan from one of your programs, listen to any of the shows, right? We got some we're probably gonna have a crazy squaring around episode from the guys over there from Texas State. <laughs> <laughs> probably gonna have a very depressing episode of Between Two Bears yeah. <laughs> on their side. Um, so yeah, definitely check out all the shows that we're gonna be dropping this week as we wrap up week one and go into week two. I'm Ishmael Johnson from Mike Craven and Mallory Hartley. Thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, Rutgers plays today. They're playing record. right now. They're playing right Play now. Northwestern so right now. <laughs> go Rutgers. I don't know the score. I'm gonna look it up really quickly. Zero zero. Don't worry, I already got zero you. zero. Okay, so it's Big Ten football. Luck. It hadn't been going on for three hours yet. It's gonna be zero zero. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point oh, uh the over under is apparently 39 so that's <laughs> definitely <laughs> yeah i was about to i don't know who said that um anyway so yeah we'll talk under. to you guys later jimbo fisher please give us a call that over and under is how many minutes you can survive watching that football game <laughs>